Hello, welcome to Derps Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I am your co-host, Buddy. And today we're going to talk a little bit about WoW Shadowlands Season 4 and also some random other nonsense. But before we do that, Buddy, I want to tell the folks at home what it is we do on this podcast. On this podcast, we like to talk about games. And I'm very excited that I we're, we're going to get to dig deep into Shadowlands Season 4, right? So this week is... Um, the last week in Shadowlands. Next week, we, we switch over to 10.0, the Dragonflight pre-patch, changing a whole bunch of systems or whatever. Obviously, we're going to be on Shadowlands content for a month. Dragonflight doesn't come out until uh, November 28th. Um, but for all intents and purposes, I feel like this is the last week of Shadowlands, right? Um, and I'm kind of interested to, to kind of hear and talk a lot about what... Shadowlands Season 4 was trying to do, did it accomplish those goals, what worked, what didn't, and we can just kind of like, I don't know, get into the, get into the weeds on it. Is that, is that, is that sound good? Yeah, no, I, as part of this, I went and uh, listened to part of our Season 3 podcast, just like the beginning part of it, because uh, frankly, for those at home, the reason this is also going to have some nonsense is we don't know if it can fill the full hour, and I was looking to see, because I couldn't remember if we had done the whole rig review, since I had not beaten Heroic um, Jailer, um, mm -hmm. at the, by the end of season three. Um, Wait, were you there when we killed it like two weeks ago? Yes, 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 yes. Okay, okay. And that was, I think, I think that was last week. Shit, uh, was that last week? I don't know. Yeah, it was last Tuesday. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, so, uh, so yes, let's, let's talk about that. Um, the things we were, we were anticipating at the end of season three were like this, make this tokeny loot system for like targeted mm -hmm. loot. Um, and uh, also, there was oh, and faded rates. Those are the two big, the big kind of things. Um, and uh, yeah, so I, I guess those are the things to, to, to start with. Um, I think this is the easier question is, do you think this, uh, it's like strange coin or whatever, I believe is the... The dinars, yeah. Yeah, the dinars. Do you think that was a successful mechanic? I do think that it was a successful mechanic. And my recommendation, like, I think it was um, something I would like to see return in the future. But I would like to see it return in the future in a very particular way. Um, part of my part of my thing about Shadowlands Season 4 is that I actually think it was kind of incorrect for it to be a brand new season, in a way. What I think I would have preferred is for this all to have been Shadowlands Season 3, kind of, sort of, if that makes sense. Um, with the DNR mechanic, maybe essentially being a bad luck protection sort of system that gets implemented halfway through the patch cycle. In like right? the 0.5 so, patch? Yeah, exactly, right? Like, I th this I, I think that this is the perfect example of what a 0.5 patch should look like, right? You, with a 0.5 patch, maybe you shuffle up... Um, I, I here I I think this, this is my pitch. This is my overall. This is my overall pitch. In a, in the point five patch, you introduce a new raid, right? Which is a reskinned old raid, right? You are you are kind of timing up a re, a raid from the past. Let's say Throne of Thunder from Mists of Pandaria, right? Fan favorite raid. Everybody likes the Throne of Thunder. Thunder. Um, all of its loot, though, is the same eye level of loot as stuff that came out of whatever the current patch is, right? Normally in WoW, a new patch brings a new raid, right? So for the for the first point oh, you know, the first couple of weeks, three months of a patch, right? You're so you're raiding in the new zone, and then the next three months, you know, because you get the point five patch out. Now all of a sudden you have a new raid that is kind of akin to sort of like the, the faded raid, and they give equivalent gear, right? So if you're in a raid group like ours, where you know 
know, we, we're generally hunting for AOTC. We're not really looking for gear a lot of the time later on in the season, right? Well, now you have a whole new set of, you know, mechanic, like a whole new raid to clear, a new version of AOTC to get, right? Like something, something new to sort of like push for, right? And I think alongside that, it makes sense to introduce DNRs as a way to allow people to really fine tune their builds, right? Um, something that I think is kind of interesting is the interaction between, you know, me at, in the beginning of, the, of a season getting a lot of gear that's really useful really quickly, right? Because every boss is dropping something that's powerful. Every raid is dropping, uh, or I'm sorry, every, every Mythic Plus dungeon is dropping something that's powerful. And then slowly over time... It, it comes to this point where I'm fine-tuning my my build, right? Where I'm getting a slightly better, you know, like this maybe has just slightly better secondary stats. Or I'm replacing this ring with an equivalent ring in terms of eye level, but much better stats for me. Like that kind of a thing, right? And I think that at that point, it makes sense to introduce dinars as a way to give people the cool chase items that they are looking for in the raid, but just haven't had the luck to get to drop yet, basically, right? Um, and in this way, I think you can kind of tone down the number of bosses to kill. The DNRs, it took, a, you know, not, not, a, not a million bosses, uh, but it took a couple of weeks to sort of kick in. My thing would be you clear a raid, like you do one week of, of boss clears, right on the 0.05 patch you get your first dinar you get three of them right and and you sort of like move to the next level the one piece of all of this that i actually would recommend sticking around even in the 0.0 patch is the upgrade tokens that come out of the bosses right being able to clear heroic bosses and take those upgrade tokens to upgrade a piece of normal gear into heroic. I think that's fantastic. I think that's perfect. And it is a baseline system that should be represented in world of Warcraft from, from now on. Right. Um, just because it solves so many issues that are, that sort of are underlying, you know, different bosses, right? We call this the shriek. We call this the shriek wing problem in season one, where everybody kills shriek wing week one, but you have to kill shriek wing every week after that. And there's just no fucking reason to do it because no one needs the gear anymore. It is literally just like, uh, like this content blocker, right? Um, but putting an item that just says, Hey, if you kill a bunch of raid bosses, you can make this thing that'll upgrade to heroic, you know, like like your heroic gear at least gives some value to you know killing killing bosses along those lines and i think that that's really useful I, I i agree with that um i also think that like like i think the way i would do it is i agree with i agree with you for the most of it but i would say instead of doing the like 15 10 5 thing that they did i would reverse mm -hmm. it uh, i would do 5 10 15 and let you repeat the 15 at infinitum um because I think that's like a, enough that like if you're if you want to use it to like grind gear, that's like a lot, right? Like, and uh, may, maybe I'm falling into the trap that WoW designers always fall into is like, well, if we make it grindy enough, people won't grind for it. But instead, they're mad about having to grind for it. Um, but I that's so the really thing, interesting. Like that. Are, so so the, the big thing to me, the, my biggest disappointment with the, with the uh, with the token system was not anything about the power level, right? I was happy to get my three pieces of, what, 278 gear for free, right? Or mm. relatively for free. Um, my biggest problem with it was that I was tempted, and I did mostly spend my tokens on Mog, right? Because there were drops that, like... And, like, that's, like, a... Like, it seems it seems weird to say this way, but it feels like Mog is a harder thing to to target 
than like power level in some ways, right? Because with this faded mechanic, right, the faded raid rotated every week, and I might may have gotten like a two seventy eight shoulder, but like it's the same uh, mog as like a piece that I already had, right? So like if I never got a shoulder, say in uh, in you know say sepulcher sepulcher. Um, but I did get it, but like I, I got a 278 shoulder in Nathria. Power-wise, I'm fine, but I want that Mog, and so maybe I want to spend my token on Mog. So just a way to kind of like keep doing that so like I can you know, get Mog a little bit easier in season, I think would be neat, but you know, that's... I think that's actually kind of clever. Part of me thinks that this isn't going to be a huge deal, right? Um, one of the things about the Faded Raids is that there's three of them, right? So there's a lot of different gear, and your opportunities to fight certain bosses are muted. Which is to say that, you know, your um, you know, your opportunity to loot an edge of night off of Sylvanas, you only you only fight Sylvanas one out of every three weeks, right? Um so you have a lot less opportunity to get that knife that you want off of her, essentially. Um, but in a world where there are two raids that are equivalent at the same time, there's actually fewer stuff, you know, like fewer like cool chase items to get in those raids that make you like go really hard, right, and want to kind of break your back in order to um, in order to to pick up these items, which makes me sort of think that maybe you don't need to worry so much about like giving people a ton of bad luck protection because like the number of chase items like the pool is smaller, therefore it is easier for people to get the chase items that they want, right? Um, that said, I think that's actually kind of a clever solution to just like picking up pieces of like mog. I would like that a lot, actually, um, especially because it's normal, right? Like, it's normal gear. And at a certain point, you know, just kind of everybody stops running normal. And that's true. That's fine. I think that that makes sense for, for a lot of guilds, right? But, like, how many times have I left behind sort of armor sets because we're not running normal anymore and i would be able to sort of like pick those stuff up i like that suggestion a lot i think i yeah. i think i agree i, I mean agree and, with that. and this this is gonna sound kind of dumb but like because we've been running normal i don't have any of the raid finder colorings of any of the gear right mm -hmm. and like you know maybe that's instead of for me to go into raid finder but like an alternate way to to do that right or like being able to run raid finder get like you know, DNR tokens and spend them on pieces of raid gear for colorings, I think would be a neat thing to do too. Something yeah. like that. I mean, honestly, at that point, you can even make DNRs the like current, like maybe, maybe it's not even one, maybe it's like three DNRs, right? But you make DNRs the currency for, um, you make DNRs the currency for picking up an ensemble, right? You put in the same way that, oh, yeah. that, that they exist in, you know, like a, like a covenant sanctum or whatever. You just put like the, maybe, maybe you say three DNRs. You you and it's four and you can just pick up the the appearance set for whatever it is. I think that's great. I think that's a fantastic yeah, yeah. idea. Yeah, that would be really. Uh, but cool. I'm sure you know. I don't know. There there's maybe like tech limitations or or something kind of along those lines. You know, obviously there's a certain level of like, do you want to invalidate the um, the hard work? For instance, mythic. Right? Do you put mythic in there? for a, a certain number of dinars do you put it up there at a scaling number of dinars so you say maybe five dinars now i'm now i use five dinars i pick up the mythic set but it's like well now am i sort of like invalidating the work that mythic raiders are doing right like i don't know those I, are all I, tough questions i think you make those work on like vault rules and you say like you can yeah. do five dinars for the mythic appearances but only if you've cleared mythic you know the mythic version of the bosses right sure like, yep that would uh, make sense uh i mean i also think that like like, I think if I were going to, like, you know, off-the-cuff design the system, I would say that you get a a leveled DNR based on what level you clear, right? Like, you know, um, 
you know, normal gives normal dinars, heroic gives heroic dinars, raid finder gives raid finder dinars, specifically so that you have you give like top players a reason to go into raid finder and help the the schlubs along, right? Other than like you know waving your peen, right? Um, <laughs> uh, what if I really like waving my peen though? Well, then you can, <laughs> then, then you can do raid finder, right? Like you know you're not. Yeah. Yep. Uh, uh, but yeah. Um, also, uh, so with 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 your vision for this, does this include like this rated or not rated faded um, uh, mechanic on top of it? Like on the point five patch, does normal become faded? I don't think so. I you know maybe maybe it does. Um, I think probably not. And here's why. I think the thing you're really looking for is variety, right? And one of the things about Shadowlands Season 4, you know, is they scaled up, you know, they scaled up the tuning of Castle Nathria. They scaled up the tuning of, um, uh, they scaled up the tuning of Sanctum of Domination, right? But those are still relatively recent raids, right? Like, these are raids that we have done in the not-too-distant past. You and I remember Painsmith. We think Painsmith is a good boss. You and I remember Fate Scribe. We think Fate Scribe is not as good of a boss, right? I never Throne of Thunder was ten years ago, right? Like, and if you're throwing that raid at people as progression content again, I think it just effectively functions as a new raid at that point. That's fair. Maybe some people have incredibly long set memories, but like that has got to be some tiny percentage of the audience, right? And at that point, you don't need the faded affix in order to make the raid feel new again, right? You just you you are essentially just giving them a new raid by leveling up sort of this this old raid. But I do think that there are issues with some of this, right? Like so for instance, the current breakdown that we have of raids, right, which is to say LFR um which is to say LFR uh normal heroic normal heroic mythic like. is something that came about in in Warlords of Draenor, right? Um so that was sort of codified essentially 3 expansions ago for depending four four expansions ago depending on how you kind of count it right so like let's say i was building this for let's say i was building this for 10.5 right dry the first mid-season patch of Dragonlands, or sorry Dragonlands, dragonflight well can i bring Th throne of thunder forward when throne of thunder was built on 10 25 uh like 10 slash 25 level scaling right with with normal and heroic versions for sort of both is there like is there a way like is the are the fights designed in certain ways like you might need to put a bunch of work into sort of redesigning those fights in order to make it worth it and i would actually kind of argue that that work is worth it right that the amount of work that an encounter designer has to put into sort of patch forward or like kind of re re-mechanize a fight in order to make it like good um, in, in a modern context, I think that that would be like worth it. Right. Um, but the expectation I think that I, that I really have is that, um, you would maybe just go wad, you know, like from warlords forward, right. You would say th that's our cutoff. These are raids that we can basically scale. And so we will basically scale them and not really worry too much about it. Um, and, and sort of like move on from there. Yeah. I mean, I feel like the, if, you you know if you're Blizzard and you want to like bring in these old raids, what you do is you start with Wad and actually work backwards to give your team more time, right? So that oh, like sure. like you know you've got a little bit more time to do uh, Pandaria and a lot more time to you know turn you know uh, fucking um you know or what's what's the uh, molten core into like something that's like playable, right? Because you know as 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 you pointed out when when Classic came out, I was like 
Molten Core was down real fast, right? Because yep. like that was that was more of an organization problem than it was a uh, like a mechanics challenge. Yeah, I uh, mean even Wrath Classic, right, going on right now, it's more of an organization problem than anything else. And I do think that you know, I think if I'm an encounter designer, like I could probably look back to raids like in Ice Crown Citadel or something like that, um, and figure out really cool, interesting things to do with those raids to sort of level them up to sort of modern standards, right? Like you could add a bunch of mechanics, you could change certain mechanics around. Um, I'm sure that you would have to do a bunch of work on the loot tables, right? Um, you know, so for instance, something that's happening in, um, something that's happening in, uh, Dragonflight Season 1 for Mythic Plus is that they're adding items to the loot tables for Halls of Valor and for, uh, and for Court of Stars in order to better round out that, that, like, loot. And I think maybe you could do something similar. By the way, Reese in the chat says, my experience with Wrath, Wrath Classic rating has been entirely 100% organizational stuff. Fair enough, buddy. I've been there. <laughs> <laughs> Especially because that was in the time before. It used to be that 10-man and 25-man raiding were equivalent, right? But in Wrath, they were not. In Wrath, if you wanted to do a 25-man raid, you got better gear for that, right? Um, which is pretty different, which is pretty interesting. But I bet, like, man, if I'm an encounter designer, right? Like, imagine being able to go back to Ulduar and, like, redesign key fights in that raid to make them, like, new and interesting again, right? That's That's kind of sweet. I feel like I would go nuts for that. Yeah, no, I, I, I absolutely agree. Absolutely agree. Especially for like, you know, I feel like a lot of people, I, feel, I mean, there's obviously a lot of people who have played the game for like many years straight, but like for like yeah. people like me who have dropped in and out of the game, like per expansion, like, you know, I have, like this is the first expansion I think I've played all the way through besides, wow, wow, vanilla when it was originally That's out. True. That's <laughs> so weird, actually, yeah. if you think about it. Like, I, I don't know that I've ever heard an expansion that people hate more right but on like the mango litmus test like, yeah. yeah it was kind of yeah i mean i think there's extraneous reasons for that right like sure. i mean I feel, I feel like that's maybe an episode in its own is like you know gaming habits how they've changed mm. right like i know i've got less time for it and i've got less time to like say like the other game that i've played this year is elden ring right like everything else has been like relatively small potatoes um sure yeah, and oh. also there isn't the same sort of demanding. Honestly, you know, maybe maybe this is because we're we're old men now. We're getting like geriatric yeah. in our in our old age. Because like I think of, I think we, we the other games that competed against it are more fleeting and less interesting, right? Yeah. So for instance, League of Legends was also pulling a lot of our time, you know, in Legion six years ago or whatever. But now when I think back to Le like League. First of all, I hate that game for obvious reasons that we've talked about a million times on the podcast. But when I think back to League, I think a lot about the the individual sort of game, not the overarching experience, right? Yeah. When I exit Shadowlands, I'm exiting Shadowlands with all of this new stuff that I have accumulated over the course of my time on my character. And I'm sure if I went in and I typed slash played, it would be fucking disgusting and I would be so grossed out with myself, right? But also at the same time, right, like I get to bring that stuff forward. I don't really get to do that with League. With League, you know, definitionally most of the game resets between matches. At the most, maybe I bring forward like prestigious skins, right? Obviously I got the Victoria skin for a couple of seasons when I, you know, like when I was playing and, you know, you play into gold and you get the, you get the, 
the the end of season skin or whatever but like i don't know i just care so much less about that than i do like my keystone master mounts right or the ahead of the curve mount that i get for for the jailer that kind of thing yeah no and i, I think i think this is actually we, we've talked about this briefly before with like the problem with battle passes which is yeah. like no real sense of accomplishment for any particular piece of thing right like this is the thing mm -hmm. that destiny designers talk about is like you want a story behind a piece of gear which yep. I think they, they, they sometimes miss the mark around, um, like the Destiny people in particular. But I think that's, like, the right idea, right? Like, I think that's why WoW can stay compelling. Because, like, you know, I have a bunch of, like, lol skins that I think are fun. But, like, the story behind that is I took out my credit card and I paid, you know, Riot Games $10. Um, and that's yep. basically it. Um, no, that's super true, right? Like, I mean, we'll talk about this more in the back half, but I have been playing a ton of Overwatch 2. And the thing that is getting me to play Overwatch 2 is... The Genshi skin, they have this new mythic Genshi skin that is like customizable. You can do different paint jobs. You can have different pieces of the gear. The sword will look different depending on what you choose or whatever. And I think that's fucking sweet and I want it. And the only way to get it is to complete the battle pass, right? And that kind of thing really motivates. It is literally the entire reason I'm playing that game. I would not, I'd probably not be playing Overwatch 2 if it was not for this really, really choice piece of uh, uh, content that, that I only have access to because of you know like the battle pass and this structured sort of achievement that goes along uh that kind of goes along with it um and i feel like wow just has a really good way of of doing that around you know around raids around um mythic plus right like even even on a lower level right outside of the achievements like ahead of the curve or whatever else you also have things like the doing the achievements for the individual bosses right so tomorrow we're going to do the achievement runs for whatever raid I don't, I don't know what raid we're starting on right we're going to do the achievement runs for for that raid on on normal and complete these special things because that also re rewards amount also you know transmog is a thing and doing doing the raids you're going to walk out with a bunch of new pieces of transmog right for weapons and armor that are going to look good and i'm always going to have access to those things kind of going forward and i think that that's like that's really valuable right I that agree. feels good in a way in wow that it doesn't in other games yeah, no, I, 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 I absolutely agree. I absolutely agree. Um, but yeah, so otherwise in S4. Um, so rated, we, we, we kind of obliquely talked about it, but faded raids as a mechanic. What did you think of that? Interesting. Okay, yeah. So I did think that the affixes were cool and engaging is what I would say. They were engaging. But I feel like they only mattered because of this specific context of season four, right? So in a version of things like my if 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 we go by my hypothetical pitch, right? Like I obviously explained um, on the point five patch, we we kind of size up an old raid, we bring it into the modern era, and we say this raid is now a parody with whatever the patch raid is, and you can raid you know like you can raid both of those frequently. I like I don't think you need a faded affix for that. Um, I also don't think that you need a faded affix in a world where um, you know you are. Uh, what was I was I whatever I lost my train of thought but, but but the point is is that I think the only reason that you need the faded affix is because of like the recency of it right, right. maybe honestly there's a version of things where in the point five patch you introduce a a, a a faded affix right but you introduce it for like the to to spice up you know if I'm not bringing a new raid maybe that's too much work well maybe I I add the faded affix to on the point five patch 
to the the raid as it exists to just kind of layer a new mechanic that'll help people sort of like change up the fight but even that i don't know i don't i don't know that i love that i don't know that i think that, that yeah makes like sense. i could see maybe it working if like if it's like you know uh you know if it's you know 10.0.5 or no 10.1.5 then you you bring it on you bring the faded ethics on like the point oh raid oh i remember what i was gonna say yes okay so I'll, the thing I think you could do with an FX that would maybe be interesting is you make it part of the weekly schedule, right? So let's say it is 10.0, the, the first raid is out, whatever it's called, Vault of the Incarnates, I think is what it's called. Um, you do that raid, 10.1 comes out, boom, new raid, Vault of the Incarnates is sort of left in the back burner. But here's what you do. You introduce the fa- like the faded affix and you just put it on that weekly that, that weekly schedule and you say... Once every two months, Vault of the Incarnates is now going to give kind of good gear again or whatever. And when you do it, you do it with this affix. I think I don't like that idea and I wouldn't recommend it, but I think it's another use for the affix that would be that would be like interesting. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah, I also so I'm going to say that I didn't actually find the faded affixes particularly compelling, but we also yeah. I don't know. I, I, I think this is more on our, our, our group than anything. Or like my my own lack of interest in like going and finding like a more serious rating group. Um, <laughs> but like, you know, we were doing it on normal and it was not hard. Um, and so like the, it didn't really feel like they, it was just like buttons to click on. The, my favorite part of the faded ethics is when it did like the orbs that you killed a bunch of and I could like spin a bunch and I could get like, yep. you know, juice my fucking DPS numbers, right? Like that was the thing that I enjoyed the most about the faded ethics. Um, I don't think like, you know, again, I think like, I think part of that's like just the the peculiarities of the way that we raid. But I would have also liked to have seen something a little bit like, like more more bespoke, maybe, right? Like I know this is a lot of work, and so like it's, it's not a realistic expectation. But I would have liked if like the faded version of the raid had like a bespoke new mechanic for each fight or something. Um, yeah, no, I, I actually agree with that. I think one of the big problems with the affix is that it has to be generalist, right? Yeah, you have to make an affix that you can kind of tack on to any fight without disrupting too many like too many things too too badly um and i don't know that seems like a I, I guess I'm pretty down on the affixes is, is sort of where, I, where I'm coming, you know, coming back from. I feel like the real answer is to sort of uh, like, so for instance, the reason that I think it's not a good idea to introduce the, uh, like the affix as a way to sort of spice up these raids on like a re- rotating weekly schedule is the thing that I like about raiding is the progression of it, right? You know, is to walk in week after week and get further every, every time. Um, and so the faded affix and the rotation of the, and the rotation of the raids kind of disrupts that feeling in a way that's not like fun because like when I do progression quote unquote on a boss, that progression resets three weeks instead of one week later, if that makes sense. Right. If we fail to get heroic Sylvanas down with the faded affix, the next time I get to try heroic Sylvanas is three weeks later. And that's just like, not as, not as interesting. Um, what I want is to create a new, you know, like I want to create a new version of progression, which is why like that, that would be the thing that I would be interested in, in scaling up an old dungeon or scaling up an old raid, right? You can progress if, if the 0.5 patch releases a, you know, kind of updated version of Throne of Thunder, I can now progress Throne of Throne of Thunder in the way that I would progress Sepulchre of the of the first ones. Um so yeah, that's that's my thought. That's where I'm that's where I'm 
<laughs> coming down on that. That makes sense. That makes sense. Um, other mechanics from season four. Um, I don't even know if I can like think of any that are like particularly significant. So another one is Mythic Plus. Um, oh. I do want to say that Mythic Plus is different and it's interesting in season four, and I don't know if I like it or not. But we're gonna we're gonna see where it goes. My Mythic Plus group has obviously been you know we've been together since um, you know nine point right? Like we got the um, we got the very first KSM mount kind of together. Like I, I ran into them through through pugs, and we've been playing sort of ever since. And weirdly, season four kind of broke us. And the reason why is because of this weird issue of learning the the dungeons were tuned insanely hard, right? And it kind of turns out that learning a new dungeon in Mythic Plus is like kind of daunting it's a more daunting thing than than we realize and i know that's going to sound sort of weird and maybe wrong because a sp it's this is sort of the opposite of what a lot of people have been talking about including myself i think i said i was really excited for season four just because you know going back and doing some of these old these old mythics um sounded so so fun and so kind of compelling uh but the sort of reality is is that maybe the repetition of doing halls of atonement for the millionth time is i kind of miss that right i miss get i miss theater of pain i'll say it i'll say it teatro del dolor was one of my favorite dungeons they have ever put in this game and i i used to just run that on mythic plus all the fucking time um and putting in you know putting in new dungeons uh especially new dungeons that didn't feel like they were fair, I guess is what I would say. Um, yeah, Reese in the chat says, I didn't learn what half of Lower Kara was until week two or three. Yeah, it's because Lower Kara was just like not tuned, right? Um, you know, we had, we I had such an issue with Grimrail Depot and it wasn't because Grimrail was hard, right? Like I, I don't even think... I don't think that that dungeon is hard. I think that that dungeon is actually kind of easy when when you know it, right? The thing that was bad about that dungeon was the mechanics were illegible, right? There just was not a lot of visibility. You were watching and it was like, where the fuck is this lightning on the final boss going to fall? I don't know. Guess I'll die, right? And then eventually they would fix this stuff, right? They they would hotfix in improvements into the into the sort of like visuals or whatever. But I think a version of things where season four launches with those versions of the dungeons, right? That are at the very least completable in a reasonable time frame, right? Um, maybe maybe that that sort of works. Honestly, lower Karazan, the thi the the fix to lower Karazan would have just been updating the spawn location right because uh the way that you spawned in lower karazan was just like incredibly brutal if anyone died and had to run back they had to do this super super long run in order to like get back to you, you just waste like minutes on on that and it's just like man we really could have done better than this you guys right mm. fair enough i guess um yeah. I, I i did not do any mythic plus stuff so i cannot comment on that that experience um <laughs> Yeah, literally a, a Burning Crusade run back. Yep, that is how it felt. I, I don't know. Stuff like that. I, I think that there are times when it is fair and times when it feels unfair, right? Like, there are dungeons that have really brutal runbacks, and that's just kind of a piece of what the dungeon is about, right? Plaguefall was a good example of that in in earlier Shadowlands, right? Um, where, you know, you could just really get hosed if you died on the wrong pack because now all of a sudden you're wasting two minutes on a run back with with like your full party right or halls of atonement could also be really brutal with this 
if you died in Halls of Atonement later on, you're right, like, let's say, you know, you kill Echelon, you fuck up the pack after Echelon, which is a pretty dangerous pack, right? Like, not super easy. You, that's a real problem. That's a real issue because, you know, you shroud in order to get up there. And now all of a sudden you have to talk about, like, oh, well, how do we deal with how do we deal with all of this shroud, shroud stuff kind of going on, right? Um, and I think that I think that Karazan was just a particularly bad implementation of of that of that uh, sort of set of mechanics. But we're gonna see what it's like in in Dragonflight, right? I think maybe the answer is that me and my Mythic Plus team were really just kind of burned out. I was certainly burned out. You know, Immortal Empires dropped, and all I wanted to do was sink so deeply into the world of Warhammer Fantasy that. I would never return, right? Um, and so that's kind of that's kind of where where I came down when it comes to when it comes to a lot of this this mythic plus stuff. I will say, however, that Valor and um, uh, like that Valor and raiding are great mechanics that have stood the test of time, right? These are things that we talked about earlier in Shadowlands, like season one, right? And the kind of question was, hey, are these are these going to be good? Are these going to work? What do we think? The answer is, we think they're great. We think they're fantastic. They make Mythic Plus such a good system. Way better. Um, and, you know, the, the carrying that stuff forward. Mythic Plus now is better than it has ever been. This is a definitive statement of fact. There has never been a better time to run Mythic Plus dungeons. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of reasons to run them at a high level, a lot of reasons to run them at a low level. Um, they, the gearing is, is fun and satisfying, and you can really kind of fine-tailor your, your experience. And I think that all of that just, like, works like gangbusters. So um, we, we were talking earlier about keeping kind of the upgrade mechanic from uh from the faded raids what do you think mm -hmm. about like doing a valor style system for raids instead of the, instead of like the discrete you know coins maybe okay that's fair <laughs> enough have a better answer than, than nope. maybe. I like the coin. I, th I think the thing I like about the coins is that the coins come in at a base level, right? The coins come in at normal, which by that point, like a lot of the time, you don't really need them, right? What, but what you can do is you can combine a coin and the heroic upgrade item in order to make something out of it. And I think maybe you could make something like that work. You know, like you, you it, with Mythic Plus, you create some version of the coin that says you complete a certain number of dungeons you get you get a coin and then you can trade that into some to some vendor for a, a really powerful piece of kind of chase gear um that that makes a certain amount of sense to me uh, uh so, plus so i'm actually asking the inverse question which is oh, really? instead of so like the heroic heroic faded raids gives you the upgrade item right what if instead of that the heroic raid just gave you valor and you can use valor to upgrade your your normal Oh, true. Uh, so the one thing is that I would not want to cross pollinate between them, right? Okay. I think Valor's would remain a Mythic Plus only system, but uh, let's say we get a new thing. We call it Justice Points, whatever. Um, you could, I could probably see that, and I could probably, you know, I think that that would, I think that that would work. I think honestly, the real thing that I want from from all of that stuff is I want a way to make a normal item into a Mythic item. Over, without ever touching Mythic, right? Um, this is a very particular thing. Maybe it just hits us because we are kind of a heroic-only raid group, right? But I feel like it is fair. It is a, it is a fair ask um, for, like, me as a player to the developers. It is a fair ask for me to... Maybe, let's say, if I kill 40 
heroic bosses. If I spend a month clearing the raid, I can take two... Okay, this is my pitch. Right now, here's how it works. Every every heroic boss you kill drops one thing. You can combine those in. You combine twenty of those into a heroic upgrade item. You take a piece of normal gear, bump it up to heroic. Right. I think it would be fair to take two of those, combine them together, make a mythic upgrade item. Right. That does something. That does something similar. Because if we're, if I look about that at the at the long stage, right? I am spending two months killing heroic bosses. That's one item a season, right? But I should be able to take my very coolest, most powerful piece of gear, the thing that I am most interested in, whether that's a trinket or a weapon or whatever else, and I should be able to take that and bump it up to mythic item level without, you know, without stepping foot into mythic. Obviously, I think, like, most of mythic gear should be locked behind mythic rating, but saying to a player that they get one piece of mythic gear without touching mythic, that seems fair to me. Yeah, I think if you wanted to make it, like, really, really fair is you don't grant the appearance if it's an appearance-bearing item. Um, like oh, sure. That, yeah. that, way, that way you still, like, you know, you have to do Mythic to get the Mythic appearance, which is, like, the pride point, right? That's, like, the showy-off piece. But, like, I think eye level is a little bit less um, a little bit less sensitive to that kind of thing, right? Because, like, that's, like, yeah. you know, um, So I think I agree with you on that, um, like, with, with that caveat. Um, yeah. Um, was there anything else in season four that was like particularly impactful? The one other thing that I wanted to mention in season four was the introduction of the Veil Strider achievement. Do you know about the Veil Strider achievement? No. Okay, so the Veil Strider achievement, which is very cool, and I almost wish that I had said it before, um, is a is a kind of capstone to single player content in. Uh, over the course of the expansion, right? Veil Strider, it wants you to do all the dungeons. Actually, not, not necessarily single player, but just kind of like, it is sort of an overview of the Shadowlands expansion. And it says, do everything, and you get a cool title that goes away when Dragonflight launches, right? So um, in order to get Veil Strider, you need to level up your renown on everything, right? You get, you get renown 80 on all four covenants. You need to do all of the story quests. You need to um, do all of the raids. You need to do all of the, the, the mythics. You don't need to do them on a, on a high level. It's not like you need K, KSM and AOTC. You just need to, you know, like complete them in raid finder, whatever else. Um, you need to do a bunch of Torghast achievements, right? You need to get Flawless Master and Torghast, which is, you know, doing the, the top level of Torghast, um, all, all six wings flawlessly, right? Uh, you need to do, you know, like some, some achievements that are, that are in there when, when it comes to sort of like Torghast stuff, you need to do the conservatory, you know, like the four kind of covenant sanctum features, right? So the conservatory, though it's not actually the conservatory, it's Merasmius, the mushroom for Night Fae. Um, the, uh, the abomination factory, the Emperor court, you know, the path of ascension, right? You need to do a couple of achievements, not the full achievements, but just like baseline achievements for those, right? The, the ones that say, just kind of do everything, just do some stuff basically. Um, and maybe that's it. Maybe there's like some other, Oh, and, and you have to do the meta achievements for, um, the, like the single player content in 9.1 and 9.2, right? So in 9.1, it's, you know, you kill all the tormentors of Torghast, you, um, you know, you do all of these achievements surrounding the invasions and the maw, you know, you do all this stuff with the, the Corthia, like elites and treasures and shit like that. Same thing with Xerath Mortis, right? You do all of that stuff in Xerath Mortis, you get, you get 
the, this sort of capstone achievement to that experience. Um, and and it all feeds into this one title that is sort of like the single-player version of KSM, right? Veilstrider. If you do this before the end of the expansion, you get you get Veilstrider, and that's cool. I love this. I think it's a great implementation. I want to see it more, and I hope that, you know, whatever the final patch of Dragonflight looks like, you know, the end of Dragonflight looks a lot like the end of Shadowlands, where it kind of encourages me to go back and do a bunch of stuff, right? Like, clear all of this stuff when it is current content. One of my things that I never like doing is going back and doing old achievements when it is no longer current content that's not fun right um something that i spent a lot of time doing in battle for azeroth for instance was mecha done which is like the mechagon achievement that you know uh like came out around that time same thing with uh there's a nazjatar achievement that came out came out around that time i think both of those achievements were great um and and there was this and this is those achievements are capstones to patches this is an achievement that is a capstone to an expansion, and I think it's cool. So that's it. Does that expire at the end of season four? Does that expire when Dragonflight launches? When Dragonflight launches, I fucking hope so. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's when Dragonflight launches. If it expire, if it expires next week, I am fucked. Okay. Um, <laughs> well, maybe that's a thing for me to do over the next month because I did not know about this, and it sounds like neat. Um, uh, but yeah. Um, yeah. So for me, at least, like I have not put a ton of time into season four. Like, I've done raids and, like, some other, like, little nonsense. But I have enjoyed kind of just, like, you know, running through just things. Like, doing economy stuff, right? Like, mm -hmm. the new, like, the, the merged auction house for materials. Great. Love that. Make, like, I'm not <laughs> making as much money, but I sell everything, like, like without having to think about it. And, like, yep. you don't I watch my number go up, and I get to buy new fancy new mod off the auction house. And that is what's important to me. So, um, yeah. I'm really interested to see how that plays out. We, we've never seen this, right? Like, this is a very recent addition. And I think part of the reason that it is working the way it is in, you know, Shadowlands is we're at the end of the expansion, right? The, the market is flooded with materials because you have millions of players who are just, like, running around gathering whatever, Sinvir ore yeah. or whatever else um, and dropping it in, you know, and dropping it on the auction house just because they happen to take a second out of their, you know, like, out of their world quests or whatever. Um, uh, what's that going to look like in Dragonflight, though, right? When all of a sudden supplies are incredibly limited and there is an insane demand because you have people who are leveling their professions for the first time, right? Um, that's going to be me, right? I'm going to be going really hard on professions. I made 18 million gold over the course of this. No, more than that. I made, like, made a lot of gold over, like, in terms of raw revenue, probably maybe a hundred million gold over the course of the over the course of this expansion selling legendaries or whatever i want to repeat that sort of thing but am i going to have to spend down my million gold in a sort of an investment on materials in the early days of dragonflight just because it's going to be so hard to pick up items who knows we'll see do you think you, know? you think it's going to be worse than like what we, we had in our like kind of small server like i feel like you know as much as demand is going to increase supply is also going to increase a lot uh uh, so Reese actually comments, beta forms say that blue skinning mats are still really rare, which is what absolutely killed me from learning Legos and Shadowlands. I could, like, I could see that, like, if, I think it's going to depend on how they gate the rarer materials. Like, I think that's, I think that's the big one. Um, because yeah. if you don't, like, just from, like, a pure economic standpoint, right, if you're not doing, like, this, like, um, the same kind of gating you are, or if you're not doing more aggressive gating than you've done, done in the past, 
um, on materials, then the gathering professions are kind of fucked, right? Like they're they, they don't have as much value to to uh, churn into uh, into stuff, right? Like you're just kind of like selling them at a very reduced price, and so that like decreases the relative value of those professions. Whereas historically, they've been kind of the more valuable money making professions because everybody always needs mats. Um, and you've kind of you've increased the supply and then like made the demand weirdly so like because the demand is server specific for uh, for the supply and demand of like the crafted items. So it'll be interesting to see how that, how that plays out. Like like you said, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, the interesting thing that I'm that I, that I think is compelling is kind of creating a real space for gatherers to specialize, right? Um, you know, there are going to be profession items, right, that, that they've talked about where, you know, if you are a miner, you will be able to mine more and better gear or I'm sorry, more and better uh, materials um, because of your because of your gear. Um, and I think that is really compelling. Right. The idea that I can specialize as a gathering class and be very good at gathering large quantities of high demand materials, right? Being able to throw that up in the auction house. That's really interesting as a way to turn that, you know, that profession into something of a real moneymaker. Um, Especially because, you know, I like I, I am never the person the, the correct thing to do economically for for someone like me. Right. If I were following sort of the logic would be to drop gathering professions on all of my characters, because at the end of the day, I just buy these gathering mats off the auction house. I have churned through hundreds of thousands, probably, of materials. Uh, all over the auction, uh, maybe even millions, right? Like if, if I think about just like the uh, the raw amount of stuff that, that I've had to buy in order to make legendary. So functionally speaking, right? Like the, the, the thing that mattered to me was the crafting profession, right? It was not the, it was not the gathering profession. Um, but being able to create a way for me as a blacksmith to also specialize as a miner to get the items that I really want to get, I think that that's really, really compelling um, and going to be, you know, I don't know, some good, interesting stuff to work with. I think the, the upgrade to, to professions is the biggest sort of question I have about Dragonflight. Um, I'm pretty, like... I get it for everything else, but professions have yet to click to me. And I'm sure that it's just because I haven't spent a lot of time on the beta. You know, I I haven't seen a lot of people talking about the way that the professions are going to work. Um, and until I do, those things are going to sort of be up in the air. Yep, no, that makes sense. I, of course, am waiting to see if uh, engineering isn't is something other than the weird dead end that it always is. Because um, I still like it, right? Like, I like having my... My electrostatic restabilizers or whatever they're called. I like doing my fun little thing, but at some point I kind of run out of things to do as an engineer. Um, but, you know, uh, I'm also okay with like living at, with engineering as being kind of like the throwaway profession that's like just for kicks. It isn't really that practical, but, you know, one can dream. Um, one can dream. Uh, but, uh, but yeah. Um, so do we want to do some nonsense? Because we, we've talked for 45 minutes about about Shadowlands Season yeah, 4. I think that's do I'm done with Shadowlands stuff. That, that, yeah. is my, that's my take on, on Shadowlands. Yeah. I mean, hey, we're at the end of the expansion. How, how, how do you rate Shadowlands as an expansion? Oh, that's a really tough question. I think the answer has got to be pretty highly, right? Like, here, here's, here's my thing. Here's always my thing. Humans are naturally progressive, right? We get better at things over time. There, if I look at any of the individualized systems in Shadowlands, they are, and I look at the pieces of those systems, and I say to myself, would I want to see this in the future, right? Do I think that this is better? 
than what came before, right? If I look at legendaries, yeah, I think these, I think legendaries in Shadowlands are better than legendaries in Legion. If I look at professions, yeah, well, I think that professions in Shadowlands were better than professions were in you know whatever Battle for Azeroth Legion pre previous stuff. If I look at rating, you know, I look at stuff like season four. Um, I think that the items are altogether much, much better, right? Like the trinkets are better and more interesting. I am chasing gear in a way now that I never used to do. Um, and, and getting rid of Titan forging, right? And war forging has sort of made the, my whole life sort of more deterministic. I just said on the podcast that I think Mythic Plus is better than, it, than it's ever been before. Really, like, and when I, when I answer all of those questions as yes, I don't know how I, I, it's possible for me to say that Shadowlands is like a worse experience than any other than any other expansion out there, right? Just because it has so clearly improved on each of these individual sort of levels. But there is this argument, there is an argument for sort of a um, weaker than the sum of its parts, right? Maybe there is something to Shadowlands where even if we can say that each of these systems individually has been improved upon by like over its predecessor, um, the overall holistic experience was worse for whatever reason, right? Um, I probably think that's true of Shadowlands comparatively to some of the other expansions I've played. Maybe just under, I don't know. I think I would have said that BFA was my favorite expansion ever. I, did I say that? I must have said that two years ago, right? I don't remember. <laughs> And I loved Battle for Azeroth. God, I loved Battle for Azeroth so much. I think maybe I like Shadowlands worse than Battle for Azeroth. I don't know. It's so hard. I don't know. It's so hard. I, you know, I don't know. Can I argue with numbers? I've played so much Shadowlands, and I've played so much more of Shadowlands. I think Shadowlands is the best expansion that I've ever played. Actually, now that I'm now that I'm really going down on it. Just I I've played so much of it and it has got it got me involved in the game in a in a new way that I had never done ever before right which was the improvements to Mythic Plus attracting me as a player to that sort of game mode and that game system um, and I feel like just on the back of sort of that sort of piecemeal logic right where I think that Shadowlands improves individually on all of these separate systems um, that yeah yeah Shadowlands is is my favorite is my favorite WoW expansion. Uh, or is the best WoW expansion I've ever I've ever played. I don't know. Fav favorite is so tough. I I like need a little distance before I say favorite. Yep, that's totally fair. <laughs> for 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 my part, you know, only expansion I've played all the way through. Um, so I think by default it kind of has to rest in that place. Um, right, that's exactly how I feel. It has to be right. Like I played so much of it. Yeah. The the only the only complicating factor here, and I think it's a real thing, is uh, you know, <laughs> COVID. Right, it played a big part as really? to I think why I played so much Shadowlands. Right, it's like yeah. it is a social experience in a world where a lot of social experiences were stopped. Um, uh, so you know, that's the only thing I think that argues against that. But otherwise, I think you know, like like you said, like the proof is in the pudding, or the proof is in the slash played, as it were. Uh, <laughs> uh, so yeah. So um, in terms of other nonsense, we didn't have a ton we wanted to go over. Um, first one was. Uh, Super Mario Brothers trailer dropped. Uh, what'd you think? It was great until Chris Pratt fucking opened his stupid mouth. Oh my god. I I don't know how hard I want to go on this. 
I think we all know that Chris Pratt is not a good voice for Mario. But the moment it it's just the it's the I so I would have said the same thing for <laughs> Luigi, but I think that Charlie Day, the little he spoke in the trailer, I think that that worked. So, you know, Maybe uh, I don't know what Jack Black is doing that is so good. Yeah, but he is killing it. Get on his level, everyone else. I don't know. I part of me just thinks that I I I think I disagree with the conventional logic. There's this conventional wisdom that says you just get the voice actor who's been doing Mario for years, Charles make him Martinet. do it. Yeah, yeah. I think that's actually incorrect, right? And um, and here's why. I think that Mario games are not built on story. You don't actually need someone to voice a character. You need someone to voice a wah, woo, yeah, wahoo, yeah. right? Like, you need that, right? For for any any real Mario game, essentially. Um, and so it actually does make sense to change out the voice actor. And I think I agree with the just bottom, just bottom level logic of we need a new voice actor. But... Man, I just feel like you could have gone so many different places. You could have found so many different people who would have done a better job than Chris motherfucking Pratt. There, there is that a part of so me bad. that wants to do that Soprano screenshot. It's an anti-Italian-American discrimination. <laughs> <laughs> you could do, like, you could do Michael Imperioli, right? Like, the guy that plays Christopher Moltisanti in... The Sopranos, he's having his moment with Sopranos. I'm sure he would come back to, to, to like do his really hardcore, you know, Italian American accent. I don't know. Reese in the chest says, This movie is going to absolute bag when Mario is not on screen. Yeah, I fucking agree, buddy. Like, that's true. Lou says the, the, the game Mario voice would get exhausting after five yeah. minutes, which doesn't mean Pratt is good. He isn't. I absolutely yeah, agree with yeah. that. I just feel like he is like the. You can't do someone who has that really recognizable voice, right? Or is unwilling to transform his voice. This is the thing. I actually think Jack Black has an incredibly recognizable voice. I heard Jack Black in Bowser, but he's doing something incredible, right? He's just, he's not doing Poe from Kung Fu Panda, right? Which is maybe the most recognizable Jack Black voice acting sort of thing, right? Um, but like Chris Pratt is like Seth Rogen. He doesn't do anything but himself. And when you hire him, you are hiring him for him, for like the the Seth Rogen voice or the Chris Pratt voice, and you just can't do that with Mario, right? You need you just need somebody more talented than that. So that's my that's my take on the on the Super Mario Brothers. Uh, yeah, I think I think I Super Mario Brothers genuinely Brothers. agree with you. Although I will say that I almost like fell out of my chair laughing when they did the kind of like you know first couple notes of the theme song, and then they like bomb it out. Like, I just, like, I saw I was like, oh, my God, they fucking did it for the Mario movie of all fucking things. Yeah, I, I actually think I like that trailer a lot. I think the thing I like about that trailer so much is um, <clears throat> the focus on Bowser, right? Yeah. Not having the focus be, you know, you can imagine a, a different, worse version of this trailer. It's, okay, here, here's what it is. <laughs> you fade in, and it's a green pipe. And you and the the camera like zooms down the pipe until it gets to the opening, and then it starts zooming up the opening, and you see Mario flying, and then it freeze frames, and he starts narrating to the camera like that's maybe the worst version of this trailer that I could possibly imagine, <laughs> but I think that that was a real possibility that they, they could have gone there right like, like that could have happened. 
It's like Mario. Um, so. It's like Mario, like just like 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 trying to like like running away from Bowser's flame. It's like wonder, you know, like you like the you know the fucking Sonic movie thing, like you know, like, yeah, yeah. Oh, pretty serious God. situation. How did I get here? <laughs> yes, absolutely, absolutely. You could have done that. You could have also done, you know, just like really dumb things in in sort of like the script. I actually think that something about. Um, Mar, we don't know, obviously, but something about Mario is that I don't think you want to be, I don't think you want to do bathos, right? The world is fundamentally incoherent, is maybe the word I would use for it. Um, it doesn't make a lot of sense. And I think bringing attention to that with any form of bathos humor is just fucking stupid. It is the dumbest thing that you could possibly do with a script like that. And so um, you need like a certain amount of sort of like earnestness to it. But you can imagine a like Guardians of the Galaxy kind of trailer, right? You know, or like Suicide Squad. One of those sorts of trailers that is just so exhausting, right? Uh, the, with that, like, Joss Whedon, you know, like, writing that people complain about on Twitter. Um, so, yeah. Like, I, the trailer really does avoid that because, like, the drama with Bowser is played for laughs, but it is played for sincere laughs, right? Yeah. The joke is not that the world is inherently, like, dumb, right? The joke is just that this guy is outmatched by the raw fury and power of Bowser, right? Um, and, and so, like, I think that that works. So, you know, in a certain sense, good trailer. In a, in a certain other sense, he sounds like fucking Linda from Bob's Burgers when he says, here we go. Uh, yeah. we'll, we'll see. I, I wonder if he's gonna do, if, like, he's gonna, if he's gonna change it all. Like, we could see, like, you know, a Sonic level change, right? Like, um, not like and because it's just the lines right like that's an easier thing to change right like you know you just change the recording um and hey maybe they just picked a bad moment for him or maybe they maybe they put like this would be some like big brain shit um i don't know if i believe it if it would happen but maybe they put like a line where he's very obviously being chris pratt in the trailer so that when like a parent sees it in the in like sees the trailer they're like oh i like chris pratt i will take my kid to see this movie right like, yeah I would not be surprised if there is just some like really insane market testing going yeah. on of this um, that says that you make Chris Pratt voice it, and I mean that's the, I mean Chris Pratt being the choice is definitely a market t testing choice, right? The thing I'm yeah. wondering about is if like maybe maybe and this is this is like a pipe dream hope, right? Like the voice is actually better, and they put like a very Chris Pratty line in the trailer for to like oh, experience, yeah. Uh, okay, yeah. to bring pa parents to get their kids, you know, go watch the video game movie or whatever. That, that I don't think that's real, but I um, admire your 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 hope. You're 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 daring to dream. Yeah. Right? Like, <laughs> uh, all right. Um. So, uh, what was the other piece? Of, the other piece of nonsense, which is like I don't know if there's much to talk about it, but I can't um, believe this. Uh, six seasons. And a movie. We're apparently getting a community movie. Um, the only scuttlebutt around this that I've heard is like, like rumors are that Donald Glover is interested in coming back, and uh, Dan Harmon said something about like I don't know if Chevy Chase could come back even if he wanted to because of like how 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 much it blew up uh, on the set. Yeah, yeah, I yeah, I don't know. Dan Harmon and Community. We still have yet to do our Community episode, but we will. Maybe, maybe that's, like, a series of episodes. I don't know if we want to, like, break that down season by season like we've done other shows. Um, but 
Dan Harmon and Community are really like like foundational pieces of media, but I actually have a really hard time going back to them. Um, I've watched those shows, or I've watched that show like back to front a bunch of times, but in a weird way, um, I almost sort of like wonder if it has outgrown its moment, right? And it is sort of like looking back on a piece of history that is kind of like no longer there. Like, I think a lot of people would say Community is their favorite show. Obviously, Dan Harmon would go on to co-create Rick and Morty, which is like a huge thing. By the way, I caught up on Rick and Morty, and I'm happy to talk about that. We can talk about that in the back half um, and maybe after this. Um, and so, like, he's got a level of prestige now that he didn't have at the time, right? As sort of, you know, Dan, Dan Harmon's thing was... Um, he was just sort of an amateur screenwriter. He did one movie, like the movie like Monster House, I think, which was just like, you know, like some CGI movie from 2006 that was nothing. But like, you know, that's a screenwriting credit, right? Um, Dan Harmon had a... <clears throat> Also had like a little like in like independent sort of circle of like like friends um, who would do this thing called I think it was called Channel 101, right, where you show up with a one minute short film each month or whatever. But like a bunch of cool stuff. Rick and Morty came out of that, right? A bunch of cool stuff has come out of that over the years. Um, and that's kind of like his big like claim to fame. But like, yeah, maybe maybe he can fucking direct this movie now. Holy shit. Right. Um yeah, I, I I wonder if Rick and Morty got him like the clout, and he's just like I want to finish. I want to finish what I started, right? With the six yeah. seasons in a movie. Yeah, I I also think that part of it is that nobody's really kind of had the breakout success after Community that maybe they like they deserved. Um, obviously, Danny Pudi, uh, Abed. I kind of think Abed is the best character in Community, um, and he does the he does a the best performance right but like the people who have who have kind of walked away from community with the most are probably donald glover um and allison brie um and maybe there's just like something to kind of like getting the gang back together right like this is something that stopped firefly uh firefly did get a movie i guess but the, the you know as people were doing big big reunions all over the place nobody ever wanted to do a firefly reunion because everybody from Firefly is like really successful doing their own projects, right? Um, you know, doing big, uh, uh, do, doing big projects on, you know, in TV and, and film or whatever. And so it's just like impossible to sort of like make that work when it comes to scheduling. But, you know, Yvette Nicole Brown, right? Like Jillian Jacobs, Joel McHale. I feel like these are people that you can, you can pick up, right? Yeah. You can get, Especially because, yeah. like, Joel McHale has has his own career, but it was, like, never doing, like, TV. It was always, like, being, like, the host yeah. of, like, The Soup or whatever the fuck that was, right? Which is, like, yeah. like and, it's a talk show thing, but it's, like, a thing you can, like, not do for a little while, like, yeah. do a movie, right? Exactly. It's exactly uh, what, what, yeah. I, what I was thinking. Uh, so, um, I also, and the, the other thing is, I don't know how a show like Community, which I guess I want to say is sort of like a movie show. Like, how do you make a movie out of a show that went so big as to make, you know, like these two-parter episodes that were spoofing Star Wars and, you know, the 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 Call of Duty, like intro to action cinema or whatever, right? Like, they, they, they did so many things over the years um, that were basically just like movies. It, it, I, I just sort of like... I wonder what you can do to make that a to make that a feature film. My guess is, you know how they like they occasionally like do like the winking at like Abbott would wink at the camera and be like, I guess it's a bottle episode or something like that. I yeah. think you make this movie 
like the frame is this is like Abed's final project. Um, oh, maybe. Uh, or something like that, right? Like you, you have it like, you know, you have Abed doing like, and maybe, maybe this, this go, like I could see this very easily going off the rails in like a bad way where like you, you make it like, you know, like you have Abed like kind of like doing that like fourth wall breaky, but not too bad type of thing that he does. Um, and you do that for the whole, the whole, the whole thing. And that's like the plot is like, you know, Abed doing his, his uh, final, his final project, I, I guess. That or like you, maybe you do, I guess it's been long enough. You could be like, this is like. 10-year reunion, right? Like, um... Whoa, maybe. That yeah. would maybe be a thing. Uh, but yeah. God, getting everybody back for for a reunion at Greendale Community College. What a world that would be, yeah. O'Brien. Yeah. So, just to kind of, like, transfer out of that a little bit, um, you said you were going to talk about uh, Rick and Morty, maybe, but... I just, do want to talk but, a little bit but, about Rick and Morty. But before, <laughs> before I let you do that, I do want to say, so, um, I have been watching the first season of Community again. Um, basically, my girlfriend and I agreed that uh, I would watch a season of Dairy Girls for a season of Community, which is a terribly unfair deal that I'm probably gonna have to change. Wait, I'm sorry, a season of Dairy Girls? Dairy Girls is like a, it's like a, it's uh, a story of like. Oh, okay, yeah, I do know. It's that. like a Netflix series. It's a bunch of girls at an Irish Catholic school growing up during the Troubles. Um, very funny. Um, but to the point of the deal that I made, there are six season, six episodes in a season of Dairy Girls. There are three seasons of Dairy Girls. There is much more community than there is Dairy Girls. So, um, but my girlfriend's been a trooper. We've just been like plowing through, um, plowing through community episodes. But Dairy Girls, Dairy Girls is very funny. Maybe we'll talk a little bit about that later. But just like kind of like watching that first season of Community again, a lot of I I forget. I had always thought that, like, it maybe had, like, kind of an arc, like, say, Seinfeld did, where it, like, really kind of, like, ramps up, like, the first season's, like, kind of, like, relatively normal, but it's not, it kind of gets, it kind of gets to community status relatively quickly, which I really appreciate. Um, I think the biggest thing is, like, I've got this kind of, like, vague notion that, like, Britta gets flanderized um, a bit as the seasons go on, Um, and, like, I can see that, like, she's not that bad yet. Um, Also, I, I... I also feel like Pierce maybe, like, gets it worse because, like, Pierce is a jackass, but he's also, like, definitely has a heart of gold in this first season. And I, I wonder – and I, I don't remember the – I have – maybe maybe we can – maybe we should save this. I have a really spicy take about Pierce that is I – maybe I can summarize it. Okay, so here's my thing about Pierce. This community premieres in 2009, right? And um, a land like I, I would consider it a landmark article. Maybe other people wouldn't, but but a pol- an article about politics came out. I think it was 2011, right, or maybe 2010, by uh, Matty Iglesias of Vox, which was called the Great Awakening, right? And it was talking about how the biggest shift in politics that was happening was the sort of embrace in the the white liberal undercurrent of politics of <clears throat> sort of you know like really kind of hardcore uh academic ideologies right that we've talked about on this podcast right intersectionality feminism racism all all of that you know class all of that stuff kind of like comes up and it gets adopted by basically a third of like the liberal base all at once and this happens right in 2010 right and i think a part of that shift 
right, um, that he talks about in this article, what is the moralizing of that, right, which is basically taking academic concepts, right, these concepts that had existed in academia for years and years, but had never really penetrated anywhere, and kind of when they got brought into the popular consciousness, they got brought in with a sort of ethical and moral undertone, right, which is not just to say that racism exists, and systemic racism is a thing, and here's how we study it, right? That's kind of the academic approach. It is also to say racism exists. We call it systemic racism. It works in this way. And also, it's categorically, ontologically evil and bad, right? Have, uh, kind of. Do, do you know what the long march through the institutions is? Because you're basically describing the long march through the institutions. Oh, I actually don't know. Well, I don't know. I, I haven't read this article in years, but no, I so, very so, much agree lo with like, the, this. The long march through the institutions is kind of like a bigger thing and it's usually brought up in kind of like a red scary kind of way because it kind of directly applies more to communism than it does to like these things but it, it's got parallels which is essentially like you know these things are contained to the academy but the academy teaches the young people right and as and because they have like the long work of the institutions they've captured the institutions and then the, the products of the academy are these students who believe these kind of like moral things that are like you know the, the long the framing of the phrase long work of the institutions this is like this is essentially like ideological capture of your children which can get crazy real fast so i'm you know I'm, i don't sure, want to like yeah. yeah you know and to be clear i i'm not trying to like this is yeah. not a politics podcast we're not yeah. talking about the politics. i'm not yeah. making claim whether this is good or bad i just right. want to talk about yes the 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 yeah the phenomenon that happened so anyway so it enters the pop culture consciousness and it gets infused with this moralism right where you know you are now in a world where making racist jokes on twitter is something that will get you horrifically attacked right because like there is a righteousness that, co that comes along with this feeling of whatever you know systemic racism is bad feminism is you know good all like all of this other sort of stuff right i think pierce straddles this that line that, right? that seems about um, right when it happens so when he first started he's making racist jokes but he's making racist jokes in the way that like maybe maybe a cl more classic sitcom might right the office will do this right with michael scott right um in early in early episodes of michael scott he's making really cringy insensitive jokes that we would in a modern context call racist right um but we sort of look back on them and we kind of go it's, yeah it's you know it's a product of his time whatever his character kind of like develops away from it when pierce is making those jokes in 2009 and 2010 on the, with this huge moralistic kind of undercurrent underpinning all of this stuff he is categorically transformed into a villain sort of just by the culture right um or by by like by the culture around him and i think that that is the thing that underpins what what sort of happens to pierce and how uh and kind of how pierce works and i do actually think that i community is a pretty political show i actually wrote a paper about this in college at, when it was airing at the time i was like Commu community is like a really staunchly political show because it is so varied and diverse right like the cast is insanely diverse um you know in terms of um in terms of ethnicity in terms of you know like religious background right like you have you have abed is a muslim annie is jewish right um, <laughs> troy is Jehovah's witness <laughs> uh, you know you have uh the different different ages different like wealth disparity like, like all this all this stuff is really kind of at, at like at a four in community and it is sort of like the show of diversity and all of the cool funny interesting things that can kind of come out of all you know like all of that or whatever um but it, it also it, it also turns around and mocks some of those things too 
right? Like, yeah. like you know. Oh yeah, like Brita is just as much a punchline for being sort of like overly, and I would say like, uh, or like the the, the the dean like makes a big deal about like how diverse the group is, right? Like you know, like this is like great. Oh oh oh, I see. I yeah. see what you mean. Yeah, in universe it is also yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is lampshaded, um, or not really lampshaded. Um, but it, it's it's a joke. But yes, I I absolutely yeah. I absolutely uh. Absolutely agree with you. In fact, I, I would take it maybe a step further and say that, like, Pierce, like, goes from, like, the it's not so much, like, or, you know, it's not necessarily just, like, the Michael Scott level thing. It's, like, he turns, he, like, he makes a type of, type of jokes that people, like, the same people would have made four years ago and then will, like, delete those tweets and, like, attack, like, you know, this is, like, the thing you see, like, every, like, third week, you, you know, somebody drags up some old tweets from some person, and it's, like, yep. like, you know, that was fine at the time, but, like, it's being dragged out, like, that's what happens to Pierce. So, like, I absolutely agree with you on, on that front. I think that makes sense. Uh, I think that makes a lot of sense. Also, it doesn't help that, like, you know, apparently Dan Harmon and Chevy Chase were, like, at each other's throat for the entire fucking time, right? Like, I, Yeah, and, like, Dan Harmon has talked a lot about his time on Community. Like, he was basically drunk the whole time. He sexually harassed one of his writers into, like oblivion which was later a me too thing but like he apologized in an incredibly public way on his podcast and she accepted his apology and was like this is the model for what a good apology for this sort of thing looks like i don't think you should be in jail i just think you did something that was really shitty to me and um and so like that's a whole complicated right like piece of the puzzle whatever the case may be community community was once my favorite show on television it was it was uh and and I even though I have had a weirdly hard time going back to it, um, I'm excited to see I'm excited to see what's next for the uh, for the movie. Um, anyway, I was going to talk about Rick and Morty. Yeah, I caught up on Rick and Morty, and it's actually kind of great. Uh, I didn't expect to be here. The third fourth season. I think I think a lot of people. Pe what was the last thing about Rick and Morty you remember? Like Pickle Rick, maybe. I was going to say like it's the the it's not. Pickle Rick specifically, it's the kid going to McDonald's to get the sauce and pickle ricking on the table is like right okay. around when I was like, I like it's not because they like you know, I'm I'm not so so shallow as to be like somebody cringe likes this I won't like this anymore. But it's about the time that like reached enough like cultural like diffusion. I was like I will I will eventually get around to this and I didn't. So that's like the the last kind of big thing that I remember. Um, okay, I need to like I need to get my seasons straight so that I make sure I'm. I'm I think that's like season order. two or so. Okay, so Pickle Rick is definitely season three. Okay. Um. Because like season two, season three okay. is around when I stopped like waiting, like you know, anticipating episodes coming out and like watching them immediately. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think I think a lot of people's peak really was Rick and Morty season three, and then a lot of people sort of like fell off in Rick and Morty seasons uh, four, five, and six. Now I think uh, season four does sort of suck, and I wasn't a huge fan of it. But then I watched all the way through season five, um, and Rick and Morty season five is like secretly fucking genius. It is really good. <laughs> And I and I I kind of can't believe it. Part of this is that uh, I do know that between seasons two and three, they did a really aggressive rewrite, uh, or not rewrite, uh, a really aggressive sort of restructure of their whole studio. Basically, they were in a really shitty studio. 
there's a lot of like industry jargon. There's a they were, they were in a really shitty studio. They were working with a really shitty studio. Uh, it was really like bad kind of toxic work environment. They got away from that studio. Basically, used the success of Rick and Morty to create their own studio like whole cloth um and were able to sort of make things much better and more kind of like equitable that process was happening in th seasons three and four i think season three is is pretty good and there's a lot of really good like iconic shit i actually think pickle rick is one of the best episodes of rick and morty it's just that it is fundamentally misunderstood by everyone who watches it like a dipshit right um like i, the, I don't even know if it's, if it's fundamentally misunderstood i just think it like it became a meme Right, like yeah, yeah, that's probably fair. Um, but the stuff that kind of goes on in in uh, in season five is just like you know one of the things that happens at the end of season four is this sort of promise that they're no longer doing sort of like canon continuity based episodes. They're just kind of going, um, you know, uh, they're just kind of going kind of point by point, right? Um, I think. Or like like the episode by episode doing episodic adventures. I think that that works okay in season four, but not great. But it works really well in season five. So that when like the canon stuff does kind of return um, towards the end of the season, it's actually really satisfying and like fun and interesting. Um, at the end of the day, I don't know that I think Rick and Morty is a really like good show. I don't care about it a ton. I still don't care about it a ton. Um, but there's just more stuff that you get out of the some of those later episodes of Rick and Morty that are just like really compelling material. Um, and uh, and I guess I'm coming here and sort of recommending it, even even though my intention is to not do it because it was so fucking cringe to be anything associated with rick and morty when the stupid fucking szechuan sauce thing happened like it just immediately overnight turned rick and morty into the biggest cringe thing in the world <laughs> yeah yeah uh so uh kind of just like to go back to what i was talking about watch the first season of Derek girls it has a hilariously funny show i highly recommend it again it's about like it's about like what is it one two three four girls and a guy going to an all-girls catholic school um in the during the troubles and uh you know the troubles like factor into it quite a bit in the way that i didn't you know like it's kind of like permeating their everyday life and then like it's a very funny show and then every once in a while just like something from the truck like the like i don't want to spoil it too much but the end of season one like the season one ends on a fucking like like shot to the fucking heart like it's like jesus fucking like one of the episodes is it's like some I, – so I am not super familiar with the trouble, so forgive me if I uh, if I misunderstood it. But they are living in – I guess they're living in Northern Ireland. They're Northern Ireland, and um, it's basically a holiday where the orange men come out and, like, parade, right? And they're a Catholic family, and their house is along the parade route. So, like, we need to get out of town because the orange – like, you know. And it's like they're not so sure how worried they really need to be, but, like – they are like driving out of town and they're like, they take a wrong turn. They're in the middle of this like parade of like orange men who are like standing, staring at this very obviously Catholic family. And like things are starting to get a little bit rough, but it's all played for laughs, right? And then they get out to the country and they find out that they've got somebody stowed away in their trunk. And you know what's like the implications there are like, and they do enough for like somebody who doesn't know, right? Like, you know, um, it is, it is uh, foreshadowed because it's like, we're taking a clock with us, like this big clock. And so one of the characters hears it ticking. He's like, he's got a bomb. He's, you know, like, he's like, that's like the implication there. Right. And like, it's all played for laughs. And every once in a while, it's just like, kind of like, Phoom! and it's like, it is, 
hilarious and it's great and I highly recommend it to everyone because it's uh it's 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 a hilarious show. Um, that may, that reminds me. Have, have you ever seen the Four Lions? Have you ever talked? Have I ever talked about Four? I, I think it's called Four Lions, but I could be wrong. I have not. Okay, Four Lions. Yeah, Four Lions is what I'm thinking of. It is the darkest film I have ever watched in my entire fucking life. Okay, so have you seen Dear Zachary? Uh oh. Okay, so yes, I have seen Dear Zachary. Dear Zachary is in fact darker than this, but but Four Lions is a comedy, so okay. it is the darkest comedy I've ever seen. In my life. Okay. that's what I meant. Um, this is, this is where Riz Ahmed came from, right? Um, you know, who would, who would end up being, a, like, a big, a big movie star in a bunch of other places, right? Um, the, the premise of Four Lions is that they are four Muslim guys, and actually technically one white guy, but who just identifies really hard with, like, being Muslims, and they are, they are planning a suicide attack, like, a suicide bomb attack in England, um, and... It, it, the whole thing is like played for laughs, but it's also just like holy fuck! Like these guys are trying to like kill innocent civilians. You, you know what I mean? Like, it's just like it is the darkest shit I've ever seen in my in my entire life. Uh, and it sounds a lot like that. It sounds a lot like that. Uh <laughs> yeah, no, I mean it is, it is. I'd say a little bit less than that, especially because like you know part of it is that like these are four schoolgirls, right? Or like four or five. You know, they're four or five school children. They're not you know politically enmeshed in the situation. It's just happening to them. Um, okay. But it's still still very good. Um, but yeah. Um, so that's that's Dairy Girls. Um, other thing I wanted to do is I've got another drink review. Oh, let's go. Big drink reviews. Hell yeah. So this is probably a mistake. It will probably keep me up too late. But I have a Japan exclusive flavor of Monster, uh, Cuba Libre. Which, uh, if you don't know, I uh, Cuba Libre is like a, a booze drink, right? It's it is a rum and coke with lime, um, and I th- think this is supposed to replicate that taste. I got this from the exotic, faraway place of the Japanese grocery store in Boston. So fuck yeah! Cheers. <laughs> so I like that. <laughs> I don't. I don't wouldn't say it tastes exactly like a rum and coke, but uh, it's pretty good. It's got a little bit of like a, that energy aftertaste, but that's really good. Five out of five stars. Tastes like has a bit of like a, it does taste like coke with like a little bit of a fruity note, which I think is supposed to be like um, the lime, and I guess the bitterness is supposed to be the rum, but I don't know. Uh, I should probably not drink this whole thing if I want to go to sleep tonight, but uh, uh, <laughs> uh, derp approved Monster Cuba Libre. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So the other thing that I've been doing with my with my week that I that I want to talk a little bit about was playing Overwatch Two. And right, like, and I mentioned this during the cast. Obviously, I the thing I want is I want this stupid fucking Genji skin. Right, it's so fucking cool. I don't know why I think it's cool. I don't even really play Genji. But it's just like the the FOMO of it and the it's new and it's interesting has gotten me to play this game that I otherwise actually quite like. I think Overwatch is a really good, solid game. Um, it is so good that I have been queuing up on my own, which I don't I haven't done that in a game in a long like in, in a multiplayer game, solo queuing in a multiplayer game. I don't like when was the last time I ever did that, right? Um and uh 
And I think a lot of that has to do with the battle pass, which ironically is getting so much shit, right? People are so mad about the Overwatch battle pass. And I do actually kind of get it. And the reason why is, is, is a couple of different things. One is that Overwatch has moved to a shop system in the same way that like League of Legends has a shop, right? So like when you want to buy a skin, you just buy it directly. Um, but technically speaking, that means that the prices are in like insanely inflated, right? So for instance, somebody went through and they cataloged all of the skins that they owned from Overwatch 1 and then looked at the corresponding prices to those skins and found that they had had spent $10,000 on Overwatch 1 just by playing, putting time into it, by getting skins out of loot boxes or whatever else, right? Um and and how it feels really crazy right that like you would you would be able to do a similar you know like that you would be able to do a similar sort of thing when it comes to um like, like Overwatch 2 i fundamentally disagree with this and think that it is stupid as fuck it is this is literally just league of legends this is the league of legends price model i feel like people were fucking talking about doing this for years right just give me the skins in a shop and let me buy it for 5 bucks please right or 10 bucks or whatever the, whatever the amount of money is um, and, uh, and then they have a, and then they have a battle pass, which by the way, League also does a worse battle pass. If I kind of remember correctly to, to when I did in fact buy the League of Legends, uh, the League of Legends battle pass, which is maybe, maybe harsh. I haven't played League in a long, in a long time. Maybe it's better now. Who knows? But it's just like, they basically just made Overwatch 2 League of Legends, but they did one thing. They did one thing, Mango, that I think is fucking genius. And I wish every battle pass did this. It bothers me so much now that I have played Overwatch. I tried to go back to the Hearthstone Battle Pass, and I was like, oh my god, this sucks in comparison. I completely forgot. All of the levels are the exact same amount of Battle Pass experience away from one another. They are all 10,000 experience. So it doesn't do that stupid bullshit thing where you get the first 10 levels of the Battle Pass really quick, and then every other level of the Battle Pass is, like, aggravatingly slow, right? You just... Every couple of games, you get you get a battle pass tier. That's it, right? Um, and having that thing be a, a very like even cadence means so many good things for Overwatch 2. For instance, when um, you you have daily challenges, you have weekly challenges, which are kind of like quests or whatever to like to complete to get battle pass experience. The weekly challenges are all five thousand experience, right? Which is half of a battle pass tier, and that's the thing. It is half of a battle pass tier, no matter if you are in week one or you are in week nine, right? At the at the end of the battle pass, you are still getting that this much of a of a tier, right? Um, and the battle pass tier, the challenges, the daily challenges, if you complete three of them, or if you complete like five of them or something, I don't remember, it's like some number, I think it's three, you get 10,000 experience, or you get 9,000 experience, so basically a tier. So it is just, the numbers are so simple to like run your head around, and they make for these really, really achievable goals of, oh, I'm going to sit down, and I'm going to complete my daily challenges in Overwatch, and I'm guaranteed to get a battle pass tier out of that, right? Um, oh, I'm going to crank out my weeklies, right? And when I do four weeklies, I'm going to get two battle pass tiers out of that. Like, very, very simple. The thing that I think sucks is that the battle pass tiers are, like, don't always have a lot of value. Um, every 10 tiers is a skin, right? Um, and there's there's plenty of stuff that's locked behind premium or whatever. I think it's pretty good. It's a $10, you know, it's a $10 battle pass, Um 
to just get like a bunch of to get like a bunch of skins seems like a pretty reasonable sort of price point for it or whatever um and over the course of you know like over over the course of playing with the the game i just feel like i i'm hitting these battle pass tiers pretty frequently and it is so satisfying not to be in that situation where the like i'm at the end of the thing and getting a single level is this huge fucking grind i cannot believe how good that feels that's it that's the thing i wanted to talk about when it came to when it came to overwatch 2 and battle passes i don't think the overwatch 2 battle pass is good because i don't think uh, there's a lot of stuff in there that doesn't represent a lot of value a lot of the time i go to the tiers and i realize oh well i just kind of unlocked a bunch of bullshit like a mccree voice line or whatever else um but you know that's that's where that's where that's where I'm at. That's where that's where I'm living. That makes a lot of sense to me. Um, I think the Rumble vs. Battle Pass is pretty good. I believe it's modeled on the Fortnite model. I have not noticed if there's like a scaling amount, like a scaling factor to it. But the big thing for me is is that if you play enough, you can earn back your all your your fight bucks essentially. Uh, and I have gotten to that point. I have like two levels left in it with like a ton of time left on the season because um, I like the game. So. Um, that always feels good. It's like, you know, I put $10 in, I got the $10 of currency back and either, you know, I'm willing to pay for it next season or, you know, I don't have to, right? Like either I can spend that 10 bucks on like, you know, skins that are on the battle pass or whatever, but I thought it was uh, a pretty good deal. So there's that. Um, other thing from my end is, uh, uh, this is going to be a little bit difficult to show, but I have a new keyboard. Um, uh, this is a, I've got it holding it backwards. This is a, a Moonlander. Um, Mark one, I think is the name of it is a split keyboard It is ergonomic. Um, it has ortholinear keys, which means that they go straight up because your fingers don't move. Like this is one of those things where like, you know, QWERTY was established to slow down typists. Also your rows on your keyboard are offset because that was the mechanical necessity for the typewriter, like arms to be able to hit the, um, hit the ink ribbon. Uh, ortholinear is supposed to be more in line with your fingers. All this is to say that I have to relearn how to type on this thing because it's very different than typing on a normal keyboard. Um, as part of this, like, so, so just as, as a note to people out there, this is a very expensive keyboard. You probably don't need it. I spent all my professional life typing for a long time. And I'm starting to, like, I the way I rest my hands, I'm starting to lose feeling in these fingers. And this is supposed to help with that. So this is part of why I'm doing it. So I would, you know, it's a very cool keyboard. Um, maybe you consider this but it is very expensive and i don't know uh you can also get cheaper model cheaper type of things too um uh but you know it's for me it's a professional expense it rather than like a, a gaming peripheral yeah Th sure. this is relevant to this show because as part of that they had the, the company gave me a copy of this steam game called epistory typing chronicles which is this little action adventure typing game essentially you move around with the typing keys and then if you see an enemy you type a word to like shoot a ball a fireball at it and you kill enemies that way and it's got a whole it's got like a a few mechanics like i recently unlocked the ice mechanic to go along with the fire mechanic and you can switch between them and you could do various effects on enemies with it some of which you just kind of like standard like you know match the the element to the enemy type and some of it's like the ice the ice words freeze enemies, whereas the fire words set them on fire and it will knock another hip of hell with them in a couple minutes. And it's, it's pretty fun. It's actually like non-trivial in terms of its difficulty. I think it's got a few flaws. But the thing that stuck out the most to me is it's doing kind of like the like, you know, high highbrow story game thing. 
um, that like normally kind of gets associated like directorially with walking simulators in a game with like standard kind of game mechanics. And so like, like my advice to all the people out there that are like, I would like to do a walking simulator is just put it on top of a typing game. I think that works pretty well. Um, it's like, it's like doing the kind of like, like the heroine obviously is like, you know, has some like, it's, I think the game is ultimately going to be like about like anxiety or something like that, or like imposter shit. <coughs> like, <coughs> excuse me. The game's kind of heading in that direction. It's like with the central messages, but it's got plenty of compelling gameplay in between, even if it's just typing stuff. So I, uh, I, I would actually recommend Epistory Typing Chronicles. Um, it's like, I think like $15. Um, I would not recommend buying this keyboard to get it for free, but if you're going to get the keyboard, if you are like me and you are a programmer who spends his entire life typing on keyboards, maybe look into that as like a, you know, a business expense. Um, uh, and then you can get it for free. But uh, I think like if you, if your kid, right, needs to learn how to type, maybe that's it. Or if, you know, you grew up and you never took a typing class, you do hunt and peck and you want to learn how to touch type, I can think of a worse way to spend $15 in up a story. So that's uh that's that's my uh recommendation or that's that's my been my experience with Epistory typing chronicles okay very cool wow that's actually like really interesting to be honest <laughs> uh yeah um you know i wouldn't have bought this game if it was if, if i didn't get it for free but i do think it's a neat game so um yeah um what else uh otherwise i did not do a ton gaming related with my week uh how about you uh you know really it was just overwatch i also some total war um and then i'm working towards veil strider on 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 wow i've actually been clearing out a couple of pieces of um uh i've been clearing out a couple of pieces for ksm too it's funny that i never actually got ksm this season um for uh for mythic plus dungeons um but, you know, it's just, it, it, I, I, I want to play WoW, but I also want to make sure that I'm not, like, burning myself out uh, into, into the new expansion. That's always, like, a fear of mine, right? That, like, I go insanely hard. Oh, actually, no, I did play something crazy. Now, I do want to talk about this. Uh, Darktide. I played Darktide, um, which is the new sort of, like, co-op PvE game from Fat Shark, who are the people who made Vermintide. Um, we actually went back to play Vermintide and played a bunch of Vermintide, which was actually a lot of fun. Um, in fact, I might go play Vermintide after this is over. But... The thing about Darktide um, is that it is in the 40K universe instead of the fantasy universe. Um, and I actually don't really know all that much about the 40K universe. Like, yeah, like my my knowledge of Warhammer lore is very, is very fantasy rooted. It's not very uh, 40K rooted, even though I know 40K is the bigger game and I have a passing understanding of stuff like Eldar, Dark Eldar, right? Um, you know, Tau, Necrons, um, Tyranids, etc. But uh, Darktide is really interesting because it is not um, character-based, right? Which is to say that in Vermintide, you are playing discrete characters, right? You are playing, for instance, um, you are playing uh, Barden uh, Gorenson, right? Who is the, the dwarf character. You can play him as a few different classes. You can play him as a, you know, like a survivalist. You can play him as an iron breaker. You can play him as a slayer, right? Um, but at the end of the day, that's the same. That's like that one character in dark tide. The idea is that you are on a giant prison ship, 
uh, which is called the Morning Star, and you get to go through a character creation process. But it's like your character is like a prisoner. You're you're like a like a re reject, and you're going down to this planet to like clear out whatever these like they're not undead. They're like infected with something. I don't. Are they Necrid? They're not ne Necrid or Necrons. I think is the. Hold on. Uh, let me let me see if I can figure this out. Or Necrons would be. Um, who would it be? Would it be Tyranids? Tyranids are like the Zerg. Yes. No, um, no, actually, the Zerg are like the Tyranids, because as you know, Starcraft yeah, was was originally a forty k game. Yeah. So, uh, so take back the city of Tertium from hordes of bloodthirsty foes. In the depths of the hive, the seeds of corruption threatened to turn into. Oh, a it's a chaos hive. corruption in in a, in a seed city. Okay. Yeah. 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 Okay. What is the seed city? Do you know what a seed city is? Um, so it's like, if I'm my, I, I know a little bit about the lore, but my understanding is it's like, basically like a city where they just have a bunch, like it's like a ton of, it's like a mega city, right? With a ton of people. And they do the various, like, you know, dark grimness of the, of the 41st century or whatever is like, you know, it's a hive of squalor that a bunch of people who are basically like laborers who labor away their lives and like you know live and die you know with without much meaning to their lives type of thing happens and so like these these cities are like kind of like maybe it's hive cities are like always kind of like in like like the 40k rpgs or whatever they're always like good focal points for like some chaos infestation to happen and it's like so many like disaffected kind of like terrible people that like Something like, like corruption can happen without people noticing for a long time. Um, because they're just kind of like, you know, bodies that can get churned through. Okay. Yeah. So the so the current thing with, with Dark Tide is that um, they're, they're in beta. It's, it's coming out like actually for real later on down the line. Um, but it is a little bit more ranged focus. It's a little bit more about cover shooting uh, than sort of the very, like, ranged is a thing, obviously, in Vermintide, and you want to have ranged characters to kind of, like, deal with, like, faraway threats and everything like that. Um, but, like, most of that game is very, like, melee heavy, where you're kind of, like, chopping through stuff. And ranged ammo is a real premium resource, right? Like, you can't, you can't use your ammunition willy-nilly because you are going to fuck yourself if if you sort of do that uh dark side i had less of that problem i basically had infinite ammo the entire time i was playing um because i do think that it, just because it is more like range focused it's it's sort of like built for that but it has a lot of the the, the hallmarks of the combat that were um you know that that are expected from vermintide in terms of like blocking um heavy attacks light attacks you know pairing all that all that kind of stuff which is really um which is really interesting the they're also going to be adding new classes to the game that are straight up classes right so like right now basically the character like the you know like the class is is bespoke whereas so in in vermintide you play a character and that character has different careers right so for instance you can play the version of corellian where she's a waystalker, which is like wood elf. She's a handmaiden, which is like high elf. She's a shade, which is like 
Dark Elf, right? Those are different careers, but it's all the same character. And she shares kind of the same fundamentals. Uh, Dark Tide doesn't have that. Dark Tide is like completely new fundamentals every every you know, every time there's a new class, which I think is kind of neat and kind of interesting. Um, my hope is that they can do some really interesting stuff. Like right now, it's all human classes, right? But obviously, 40, 40 Cake has a lot of really interesting stuff you can do with Eldar, Dark Eldar, um, like Tau. Like I said, you know. This is Ogren overall, the advertising. Are you counting that as part of it? Yeah, so, yeah, so the Ogryn is is one of the uh, is one of the base uh, is like one of the base classes, um, and you know maybe we'll get into a world where there where there can be green skins. Everybody loves green skins in in 40k because they they do shit through the power of thought, right? Will I guess yeah. in a way, uh, dumb luck. <laughs> um, and so anyway, that was that was the other that was like the last that was like the last neat thing that I did was play the dark side beta. There, I thought of one th more thing to talk about, just because I know I know uh, Lou uh, has been following along my following along with the Great British Bake Off as well. So, like three weeks ago at this point, <laughs> they had an episode where there was like a pizza round, and I was furious at it, and I was clear, clear, uh, nearly clawing my eyes out. But the big thing was like, I guess it's two weeks ago now. They did a Mexican week. And it was a about fucking this. train wreck. Like, oh my god, the the avocado thing. I just saw this on Twitter. The screenshots of the guy slicing through the avocado pit. That's real, right? Did that happen? Oh yeah, like you know, like just like like. So I think some of this is like forgivable from like a kind of, like. There's this old woman, Carol. She's like a bagger at like a grocery store, and she clearly does not know what Mexican food is, right? Oh no, like like. One of the tests, it, like so, the middle round of every credit papers baking off is a is a technical skills challenge. First of all, it was tacos, which was like I think it was terrible. First of all, everybody on the fucking show called them tacos, which is like, oh. um, but like half the people I don't think knew what guacamole was. Like this oh, this, no. this old this old British backer woman who is very nice, clearly had no idea what it was, and called it, like, Glockimolo, and, like, seven different bastardizations of it. They were just like, oh, no, why are they doing... And also, the tacos were, like... Like, it was, like, a very, like, weirdly, like, specific... It was, like... Like... It looked... Felt kind of almost like a... Not quite a Taco Bell taco, but it's, like... It felt like it had too many ingredients on it, right? It was, like, all these, like, fixings and, like steak tacos it's like this is like the platonic ideal of like a taco it felt very weird i was not pleased with this episode um i used to think it was like a good it was also like very open-ended like I, i've had issues with some way the way some of the technical challenges go just because i feel like there's some in some ways unfair it's like they it feels like if you know how to do the thing you just kind of like win the challenge which is like not i think good show design i think there's better ways to do it but like um like the first thing was like Make a sweet bread. And, like, they got to choose which one they did. But, like, you know, I think, like, most of them did conscious of some sort. And, like, I just basically don't trust Paul Hollywood and Prue, who are the two judges, to know what good, you know, Mexican... How conscious are like? Yeah. yeah. Like, I don't know. It was, it, was a, it, was, it was kind of a train wreck of a show. Plus, there's, like, some, like, you know... To, to some of our earlier points, some, like, dubious kind of jokes in there that, you know maybe uh maybe like cross the line in a couple places but uh you know nothing well, nothing nothing super nothing like super like you know like overtly racist but things like you know mm -hmm. the hosts open the episode by being in sombreros and ponchos which is like eh, 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 right like you know like 
maybe not so bad, but maybe like, you know, you don't want to do that type of deal. But, you know, I just want to talk about that because like I, I like I said, I know one of our loyal viewers watches the show as well. So hell yeah, man. Maybe I should watch the Great British Bake Off. I think so. Honestly, it is the only reality show I've ever gotten myself invested in. I think normally it's very fun. I get behind the characters and it's less adversarial. It's like not really adversarial at all. It's mostly kind of just like, you know, um, uh, kind of like pure kind of like positive competition, if that makes sense. Right. It's not like people sabotaging each other, or yelling at each other. It's people building each other up and hopefully everyone wins. Right. Like, you know, like, you know, not everyone can win, but everybody wants everybody to for- perform at their best and do the uh, uh, do, and do their best. So you know, I think I think it's a very it's a very gentle show and it's it's very good. Also, the theme song makes for a great alarm if uh, if you need your alarm sound. Uh, Lou in the chat says, "So fun fact that you do a foreign country week every year and it's always cringe." Uh, you know what? Yeah, I believe that. Um, you know, it's it is tough, especially if you do a foreign country like that's like just so far away from Britain that like I think you could do like an America week and it wouldn't be so bad. Um, but you know. It is what it is. Yeah, but yeah, that was that was that was the last big thing of my week is I watched the Great British Bake Off again. All right. Okay. Well, well, with that, I'm going to say if you'd like to email us about any of the things we talk about um, on this podcast, you can email us at subdrupsplaygames.com or podcast.subdrupsplaygames.com. You can follow us at twitch.tv/subdrupsplaygames, where you can watch these go out live. Um, and uh, oh, sorry, I, I want to read a couple of these comments from Lou. Uh, they did actual Mexican food this year. Uh, previously on Japan Week, let's cram every Asian country into this week, which sounds about right for the Great Perspective. Anyway, sorry. Get back to the, the end of show announcements. Uh, rate review us on everywhere. Everything's good. Um, this is a great show. You should watch it more. Uh, but you have anything you want to promote? Uh, I do not have anything I'm looking to promote. All right. Uh, you're gonna you're gonna have an announcement next week. Am I allowed to tease that? I guess I will say the the announcement exists. We people know about it. Okay. The Aquapara Games is going to be featured in the the Mix Next um, uh, publisher showcase, uh, which is sort of like a indie game miniature version of like an e like a like a Nintendo Indie Direct, right? But it's like all Aquapara Games. That was announced last Thursday. It's going to be next Thursday, uh, and it's going to be it's going to just include all, like all of these things. So uh, that are that are like Aquapara games related. So that's gonna be the big that's gonna be the big thing. Uh, we're doing a watch party in the Discord actually, in the Aquapara Games Discord, uh, and then I'm doing an AMA afterwards where I'm just gonna be answering questions from people about you know the stuff that ha- that came in the um, that came in the showcase. So we'll see. So anyway, that's that's it for me. That's Thursday the twenty seventh. Thursday the twenty seventh. And what time is it at? Uh, it is at noon, but I actually don't know when we're going on. Like it could be anywhere. Noon sort of Pacific. Pacific, yeah, Pacific, right? Shit, it's got to be Pacific. Yeah, sorry. I, I, I don't mean to, like, I, I'm not trying to pull this out of you. I'm just curious myself because, uh, you know, I think it'd be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they are in Pacific, so it's going to be noon Pacific. All right. Well, with that, I'm going to say, uh, until next time, dear listeners. Until next time, loyal listeners. <laughs>